Hey, all right, all right. We're going to make our way back to our seats this morning in case you, uh, looks like most heard, but we do have uh, homemade um, kettle corn for you uh, in, a, in a little thing called a keezy. Uh, it helps you uh, break apart your key ring so you can put your keys on and off, but it's got our uh, church logo on there. So please take that, take one of those home with you uh, or a couple of those if you need them. Uh, but uh, we don't want any of those things left, so please take all of that home, even if you want to take five of those with you and you give them away at Christmas and say, here, here's a Christmas gift, or put it in a stocking somewhere. Listen, I'm going to uh, invite you to open up your Bibles with me. We're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew this morning, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 2. And as you get there, uh, also you can follow along on the screen with us uh, as we go through our text here this morning. Um, got a picture. Anybody, anybody watch the Home Alone movies? Anybody like those Home Alone movies? Yeah, I, we've already watched them like three or four times already. I love those. It's just a cool thing to, to watch every year. But I got a little pic I thought was funny, uh, a little meme going around on Facebook. It says, eight-year-old Kevin McAllister was left home alone for three days, and he still made it to church. So yes, you can make it to church this Sunday, and you did. You made it to church this Sunday, and so glad you did. So glad. Give yourself a hand for being at church. <laughs> we are glad. We are thrilled that uh, you have come to worship the Lord with us here at New Life Church on this Christmas Sunday. And if you're fairly new to us today, uh, we are closing out our Christmas sermon series called Uncluttered Christmas, and we're going to take our lead from Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. We're going to look today at the wise men. We have looked at Joseph. We have looked at Mary and the Christ child. And today we're going to see how this all comes in with the wise men. Matthew 2, verse 1. It says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote, the prophet Micah wrote. He said, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. And then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men. And he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. And then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. In verse 9, after this interview, the wise men went their way and the star that they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasure chest and gave gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, today we come before you and we are thankful and we are humbled by your presence. And Lord, every time this season that we read the story of the birth of Christ, your son, Lord, it reminds us. It reminds us, Lord, to be thankful. It reminds us to be grateful. It reminds us to open our hearts to what is possible because with you, nothing is impossible. And so I pray, Lord, as we go through your word today, help us to understand it, Lord, and just help us to gain from it what we need. You know what each heart, each life, each family needs today to hear from you. I pray, Lord, we won't treat this as just another story, another Christmas, another thing, but let it be fresh and real in our lives. And help me, Lord, teach your word in a way that will help your people and honor you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. The prophet Isaiah was also another prophet that was responsible for declaring the coming of the Messiah. In fact, he, did, he and Micah, the prophets, both prophesied about 700 years before Christ came. And here's what Isaiah said in Isaiah 9. It'll be on the screen. It says, the time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. It says, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. At 700 years before Christ the Messiah ever came, Isaiah was foretelling and prophesying that, hey, darkness and despair does not go on forever in our life because Christ will come, the Messiah will come, and he will change everything. He will change everything. You know, in fact, the New Testament really broke the silence of about a 400-year period where there was really not uh, much movement or a hint of hearing anything from God's voice. Can you imagine going your whole life not feeling or knowing the reassurance of the Lord? Well, these people were in that place, but it was talked about in a way that they never stopped expecting God to show up. They never stopped believing that the Lord would do what he promised he would do. And so his star, the star of this Christ child, the Messiah, it paved the way for many to begin to pay attention again, for many to be on the lookout again, for many to notice that he was coming. You know, at the dawn of creation in Genesis it says that the, the, the earth and everything was just void and full of darkness. But then God spoke and he said, let light shine. And at the dawn of this in, inception of this New Testament, darkness was prevailing. But when Christ came, light came. It says God sent forth his light to shine in the darkness. In fact, the Gospel of John tells us this. Look at, look at this here on the screen. It says the word which is Christ gave life to everything that was created. I mean, that's just as powerful scripture. The word Christ gave life to everything that was created. And his life brought light to everyone. The life of Christ brings light to everyone. It says, and the light shines in the darkness, and darkness can never extinguish it. You know, no matter how dark life can get in our day and time, we have this hope that is only anchored in Christ, that it's his life and it is light that darkness can never extinguish the light 
in the life of Christ. It's our hope. It is our hope. And our hope in the Lord does not disappoint. You know, in this story in in Matthew chapter 2 with the wise men, you've got Jesus. He's a baby. Then you've got King Herod, who was ruling at the time. And in fact, it was, it was noted about him that he was a, just a really ruthless leader. In fact, he was known for murdering his wife, some of his sons, and even his relatives. So I'm sure the story was going around that the uh, cousins and the aunts and uncles were like, hey, kids, we're not going to Uncle Herod's house because you may not make it back. I mean, the dude was crazy. He was a ruthless leader, and he was, he was putting darkness in this world. And that's the, the oppression that the people were living under. And they were living in this span of time where they were told, and looking back to, through the scrolls of, of, of Isaiah, that, hey, they, he said light would come. Light would come. That darkness and despair was not going to last forever. When is this Messiah going to show up? And there's this star. There is this star, and these wise men see this star. These wise men were a part of a group of scholars, astrologers, who studied the stars to kind of look ahead and determine what was out there in the future. And they were actually familiar with the prophecies of Christ. They were familiar with all of these prophecies that it was going to happen. The Messiah was going to be born. And so they saw the star, and then they began to follow this star, as the story tells us. And as they followed this star, they understood... That his light was the guiding force that would lead them to Christ, that would lead them to be in the presence of Christ, and would lead them to be able to worship Christ. You know, no one can come into the knowledge of God except that Christ be shown. And that is, that is God's heart, that is God's will, and that it should be our prayer as anyone who is a follower of Christ, that anyone whose eyes are not open to Jesus that it would be shown. Light shining in darkness, and darkness can never extinguish this light. And so we pick up with this story as they follow this star and leading them to Christ, to worship Christ, to be right in his presence. So we're going to take these next few moments of our time today, and I've titled this message, Follow His Star follow his star. And we're going to take the word star, an acronym, going to break it down into four four truths that I want to bring out. All right? You guys with me today? Following his star and the story of these wise men, it shows us, first off, about, about this is S. It shows us that God uses the least to accomplish much. God uses the least to accomplish much. Micah was one, one of the prophets that prophesied about the coming of the Messiah. And, and, um, and he said that, in, in it was referenced here in one of the meetings that Herod had, trying to find out where he, this Messiah was to be born. And they said, in Bethlehem. And, and in Bethlehem, you know, Bethlehem was a small village. It was actually one of the least likeliest places that anything great was supposed to come from. But Micah prophesied that out of you, Bethlehem, you are not least. You are not the least. And out of you will come a great ruler, a great leader, a great shepherd for the people of Israel. And so that's what he declared. Even though it was small in stature, 
small in size, that out of that smallness, God brought greatness. Isn't that just like our God? In fact, Paul talked about this and teaches us in 1 Corinthians 1. He says, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. And God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. You know, one, there's so many stories in the New Testament the way God does these types of things. One of my favorites is, is when, when uh, Jesus is surrounded by 5,000 people and they find out that they're hungry and his disciples are like, hey, we need to feed these folks. Or actually, they need to go and find some food. And Jesus is like, you know what? We should feed them. What do you have? And come to find out, they had a kid's meal, five loaves a bread and two fish is all they had. It was literally a kid's meal. That's one of the kids had it. And they asked, could they borrow it? Five loaves and two fish. And you know what Jesus did? He prayed over that meal, prayed over that food, and it was enough to feed the 5,000 men. In fact, the Bible goes on and actually tells us that that doesn't even count all the women and the children. So some studies lead, to, lead us to believe that there were probably about 20,000 people there. Out of five loaves of bread and two fish. So at, th- at uh, Christmas dinner this week, if you feel like you're running low and you feel like you might not have enough, just pray. God can take some things and stretch it, right? He can make some things that might not taste that good and actually make it taste good. <laughs> no offense to anybody. But God works. He really does work in weird, mysterious ways sometimes. Five loaves of fish, I mean, five loaves and two fish to feed over 20,000 people. And then, after they fed them all, Jesus said, now go and collect what's left. And how many disciples were there? Twelve. And how many baskets were left over? Twelve. You know, little is much in God's hands. Little is much. He loves to, he specializes in doing this doing things this way because it makes no sense. If it made sense and we could figure it out and draft a plan, none of us would be in any problems. None of us would have any issues. None of us would have any situations that we needed help to get out of. But that's not the way our life is. That's why we need him. And he is with us. And he is on our side. Where do you feel least this Christmas? What, what, what is going on in, in your world where you feel least, where you don't feel like that you can maybe handle as much as you've got going on? Where, where do you feel small? Where do you feel insignificant? Or on the other side, what, what makes you, what, what, what's big, what's so big in, in your life right now that you need our great big God to come through for you? For those 12 disciples, they were responsible for feeding 20,000 people. That was an astronomical amount of folks to come up with food right on, the, right on the spot. But Jesus was able to do that. Little as much is in his hands, but also big is small in his sight. Big things to us are really small things to God. What big thing in your life seems to be overwhelming and overpowering? Maybe a diagnosis. Maybe a layoff. 
Maybe a broken relationship or marriage. Maybe someone who passed away. What is big in your life that weighs on you, that's hard on you, that is challenging for you this season? I want to encourage you, take whatever it is and put it into God's hands. And God specializes. And if you feel small, he can make great. And if there's something great, he can cause it to be small because that's how he works. But we've got to trust and follow his star. His star in following it, it also, T, it takes us where we need to go. It takes us where we need to go. In what direction does your life need to go? And as we approach an end of a year and we're coming up on the threshold of a new year, what direction does your life need to go? What direction does your family need to go in? Where do you need to be? Where do you feel like, man, I need to get my life there. My life needs to go here. My life needs to go there. And, you know, sometimes we don't always have it figured out. Sometimes we like, we make our plans. The Bible says tell, we, we make our plans, but it's the Lord's purpose that will actually prevail. Sometimes our plans are not what God has for us. And we have to learn to trust him that he will take our life where it needs to go. You know, because sometimes life can get dark. And we can lose our way. We can get confused. We can kind of get lost in, in life. We can get lost in situations. And we can become unsure about what to do. Anybody ever been in a place where you felt like you were in a crossroads, in a crossroads where you felt like, man, I don't know which way to really go right now. I've got, to make to, I've got to make some decisions. I know I've got to make some changes. I know I've got to get my head in the game and get, and get involved, but I just don't know how or what to do. Life can make it feel that way sometimes, but here's the thing. His light will give us guidance. His light will give us guidance, but his light is no good if we don't look to it. If we don't look to where he wants to take us, then we're still living our own way, doing our own thing. But God has a way. God has a plan. This Christmas, if you're searching, I want to encourage you, look to Jesus. Look to him. Look to him because he will never fail and he will never disappoint. He knows exactly how to lead and guide our life. In fact, the Bible says that the Lord actually orders the footsteps of the righteous. There are things in life that we will just not have a clue on how to handle. We will not really know how to, how to navigate through. We will not understand on what we need to do and how we need to make it. But if we will trust God, look to his light, look to his guidance, he will order our steps. There are situations where, where I just did not have it, and I asked the Lord, what, can, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to proceed? And, and it's amazing how he will just line things up kind of off the record, so to speak, this need came up on Thursday evening that I happened to see on Facebook from a pastor friend of mine out of Olive Branch near, near Memphis. In fact, he was one of my uh, Bible college professors when I was in Bible college, and he had a need that he said he's got a missionary who's going back to Nigeria on Monday, 
And he said, he's in need of a laptop. A used laptop would be great if you've got one in a, in a decent price. And he just put that out there broadly for anyone and everyone who could see it. I just happened to come across it. And I took a screenshot of it and saved it. And I had forgotten about it until later that next day. It popped up. I was doing something on my phone. And the, and the picture popped up. And I thought, oh, Oh, I need to follow up with this. So I text um, one of our staff members and I said, hey, can, can, is there anything we can do? Do we have anything we can help with here about a, with the laptop? And he said, let me check on it. And he texts me back within a few minutes. He said, you know, we've got, we've, I found one. We can make it work. Uh, it'll cost just a little bit to make it happen, but we can make it happen. It's a used laptop. And I said, okay, let me check and see if the need has been met. So I text the pastor back. The need had not been met. We do a few text exchanges and, and all of these. We meet yesterday afternoon. They drive up and, and pick it up from us. And I come to find out this pastor, in, 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 this missionary in Nigeria, he has over 350 churches under his leadership. In Nigeria, I don't know if you're keeping up with much over there, but he's, he, was, he was giving me a little bit of a post date on that and just telling me how crazy uh, persecution is over there. And in fact, how his family had to be relocated to the States, but he is still ministering and living in Nigeria. And, uh, but he was in desperate need of a gently used laptop. And we were talking at this table and, and he brought this up. He goes, you know how the body of Christ works in his Nigerian accent. It was so cool. And, um, and, he, and he was saying, you know, it's kind of like if I've got salt and he's got pepper and you've got fish and you've got meat, but all of them by themselves are not good and good alone for you just to consume, but you got to put it all together. And it's amazing when God brings the right pieces to the table at the right time, it creates this delicious meal. That is how God works in our life, friends. We may not know how to get the answer. We may not know how to provide for it. And that is, that is fine because God knows exactly how to take our life where it needs to go. But we have to look to him and trust that his light will always shine. His light will always guide. His light will always lead me where he wants me to be. But you've got to yield. You've got to trust. And that brings us to the next thing. A, following his star allows us to encounter Jesus. It allows us to encounter Jesus. That star guided those wise men, not by accident. They didn't just stumble upon the Lord. No, they were intentional. They were intentional in their search. They were intentional in their inquiries. They were intentional about the reading of that star's location. They wanted to get to Jesus. And it were this, the, the indication that they encountered Christ was visible. The story tells us it was visible in their possession, in their devotion, and in their position. They encountered Jesus, and it was visible in their position. It says they bowed down to him when they saw him, when they encountered him. You know, a true encounter with Christ will cause us to be humble. Cause us to be humble. We can either be humble people or we can be haughty people. And the Lord's pretty specific that it's the humble that get his grace and it's the haughty that don't get anything. So we have a choice to make. We can be humble or we can be haughty. Humble comes from bowing ourselves down and recognizing Jesus Christ is Lord. 
It was also visible in their devotion. It said they worshipped him. When they saw him and they encountered him, they worshipped him. You know, a true encounter of Christ, it leads us but to only really worship him. You know, who or what we worship will equal what we become. Think about your life. Who or what we worship will equal what we become. If we worship, let's just take for instance, if we worship money, all we're going to be consumed about is having more of it, no matter how much is there. If we're consumed with good, good fashion, all we're going to be consumed with is how we look. We're going to stand in that mirror until God knows how long and go out and want everybody to look at us because that's what we're consumed with. You name it, what we worship and who we worship is what we will become like. And we're called to become like Christ. And we, the only way that happens is when we worship him. But it was also seen, it was visible, their encounter was visible in their possession. So they gave him gifts, gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gifts of gold for a king, gift of frankincense for a priest. And there's one myrrh. What's the other one? Oh, myrrh. It was myrrh. They gave him myrrh. Did you catch that? No, you didn't catch that. All right. I debated should I or shouldn't I. I stepped off in it. It wasn't that funny. All right. They gave him myrrh. <laughs> now it's funny that I make fun of myself. Yeah. That's usually the way it goes. They gave him gifts of gold for a king, frankincense for a priest, and myrrh for a savior. They gave him out of their possession. And an encounter with Christ will lead to nothing but total surrender. Because when you taste and see how good he is, you want everything about you to belong to him. You don't care. You want your heart, your life your possessions, everything, because you recognize everything you have is a gift from him anyway, and he's just called us to steward what we have that he's blessed us with. An encounter with the Lord will lead to total surrender, and the question for us is, have we surrendered to him as king of our heart? Have we surrendered to him as priest of our lives? Have we surrendered to him as savior of our souls? And it leads us to the last thing, following his star. Our, it revolutionizes our life. Revolutionizes our life. You know, these wise men encountered, even though he was young, he was a baby, there was something about him because of what and who he was, the son of God, the Messiah. And they knew that and they encountered him and it revolutionized their entire life. And the story goes on at the end of that. It tells us that now they were actually listening to the voice of God for the outcome of their life. Said so the Lord warned them in a dream not to go back to Herod, but to go a completely different route, a completely different way. You know, that's what happens when our life encounters Jesus is that our routes will change. Or our roots, however you say, however you choose to say that. Our roots will change. Our paths will change. The patterns of our life will change. In other words, we will not remain the same, or at least we will not desire to live the same way that we have always lived. An encounter with Christ revolutionizes our life, so much so that it brings change from the inside out. 
friend, you cannot change you. You cannot change someone else. I don't know about you, but there are things in my life that bug me. I don't like certain things about me. And I just want to change them. But the more I try to make the change, the less I change. You ever found that out? And there are things about other people that I just wish would change. But I can't change anybody. But you know who can? The Lord. So whatever change you may be searching for inside, or whatever change you're praying for in other people's life, we can't make it. We can't make it happen. Only the Lord and his love can do that. So the encouraging thing for you and I is this. Encounter Jesus often. Encounter him often. Seek him like these wise men. Search for him like these wise men. And here's the thing with Jesus. He's not hard to find. He's not hard to find. If we just call on his name, if we will just look to his light, he will show himself. He will be present. Someone once told me this, that a person who has an experience with Jesus is never at the mercy of someone who hasn't. Your experience with Christ, your encounter with Christ, it's personal. It's personal. And there's no one else who has never had that before. They, you are not at their mercy in other words, they may try to argue, they may try to debate you, they may try to say, you know what, there is no way that could happen. And you know when you have an encounter with Christ and your heart collides with his love, things change on the inside of you. Your heart changes, your desires changes, your thoughts change, your mind changes, your life begins to take on a whole new shape. And it's really the shape that we were created in from the very beginning, to be created in the image, in the likeness of God. Jesus is the one who unlocks all of that and begins to create all of that and makes all of that come to life. So whatever change you're wanting, whatever thing you're needing to happen for you or in someone else that you're close to or whatever, you need to just not worry about making the change and just go to the one who can be the change. I mean, we just sang the song, you're a way maker, you're a miracle worker, you're a promise keeper, you're a light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. If we could save ourselves, folks, we could have already saved ourselves. If we could have changed ourselves, we would have already changed ourselves. If we could have changed somebody to like us more, we would have already changed them to like us more. If we could have changed every situation that ever bothers us or everything we ever get stuck in, trust me, we would have already done it ourselves, right? Who wants to live in misery? Who wants to live in darkness? Nobody. Who wants to live in despair? Not one person. Go to the change maker who can make it happen for you and make it happen on the inside of you. Jesus changes lives. He really does. He really does. One encounter, one encounter is all it can take for everything to be different. In closing, I want to here in a moment we're we're going to we're going to take some time. I want to we've built in a little time because we want to take, uh, approach this table with a little slowness today. Don't want to make anybody feel rushed as we come to the communion table. And there are a couple of things I want to talk about that. 
But in closing, I want to put this out there. It's the week of Christmas. Today's Christmas Sunday. And over this week, and even as you approach the the week of the new year, I want to encourage you to intentionally find some time to get still before the Lord. I'm not talking like you got to you know, be like five hours in a closet somewhere. Hey, it may take that for some of us, but I'm just wanting to encourage you. And I'm not meaning like go hide out from aunts and uncles who are at your house for Christmas and be like, I got to go pray today, people. I got to go get close to the Lord. I'll see you in about three hours, all right? I'm not talking about doing that. I'm just saying uh, when you can, intentionally find some time where you can be still before the Lord and seek him. Allow that time in silence to speak to you, to guide you, to open your heart to the presence of God, and to begin to see how his star, the star of Christ, brings all the light into our life that we need. He specializes in showing us, I can do great things. But you've got to trust me. You've got to look to me. You've got to allow your life to engage me. And then when that happens, I will show you that I can take things and turn things around. Just got a report this morning. There was someone on our prayer list that was possibly facing cancer. And they came to us this morning and said, guess what? The report said no cancer. Something completely different. Yeah. That's my God that we serve. That is your God. That is our God that we serve. We've got to look. This is a person who doesn't attend church. As far as I know. And they just said, hey, thank you for praying for our family. You know, that's that's such a huge testimony. Such a huge testimony. You know the thing about about this story and and about this communion is, you know, we don't have the baby Jesus, but we do have some things that that he did leave for us. Because about 33 years later, the last, on the eve of his suffering and his dying for us, he had a last meal with his disciples. And in the meal revolved around two, two main elements some bread and, and juice. And he told him, he's like, you know, this bread represents my body that I'm breaking apart for you. And he said, I, I want you to know that when you eat this bread, you're doing it to remember me and remind yourself that you can't fix you. You can't make you whole, but I can. But I got to be in you. And he said, so I eat it. And when you eat it and you chew it and you swallow it, you're remembering my brokenness to make you whole. And he said, in this cup that he passed around, this cup represents the cup of the new covenant that I'm making for you now. And it represents my blood that I'm going to shed. And it's going to be for your forgiveness, your redemption. It's like, because you 
can't make yourself good enough. You can't do enough good deeds to make yourself appear righteous. You, you, you can't make, clean yourself up. He said, that's what I do. And he said, take this cup and drink it because it has to go in you. He said, when I go in you, when you let me in your life, I make you whole and I bring you forgiveness and I bring you redemption. Now, the way we, we take communion here, uh, we have been, we've been doing it this way now for quite some time. He's here in a few minutes. We're going to invite you to come forward and, and at these two tables. And uh, I always forget to say this, but we've got a great person in our church who, who prepares this. Don Carlton uh, prepares this table. And I love the detail, even though there's not a whole lot of elements on the table because the main focus is supposed to be about the bread and the cup. She always has beautiful flowers and always makes sure that this is a special moment. And... Um, Thank you, Don, for making that happen for our church. Thank you. And so the way we, we do it is we take a piece of bread, and then you're going to just dip it in the, in the cup, and then you, you will be able to uh, partake of that. Pastor Max Licato, he said, If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. And if our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. But since our greatest need was forgiveness, God sent us a Savior. That's our greatest need, folks. That's our greatest need. And that Savior, Luke 2.11, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born has been born today in Bethlehem in the city of David 700 years went by lots of years of despair lots of years of darkness lots of years of wondering would light ever come back into my world and there on that day in the city of David in Bethlehem the Savior the Messiah Jesus Christ came and his light and his life bright enough and big enough to shine in our life and to save our life folks our greatest need ever is Jesus Christ I'm going to invite you to stand Going to invite, I'm going to ask if you could just bow your heads. And I'm just going to lead us in a prayer. That I'm, just, I'm going to ask everyone to, to say, if you, if you will, wherever you may be today in your faith, whether you feel real close to the Lord or maybe you feel distant from God or maybe you just are unsure where you really stand this prayer fits all and I'm just going to ask us all to say this and pray this after me Lord Jesus I acknowledge I am a sinner in need of a savior you are my savior I can't save myself I need you forgive me of all my sins 
and all my shortcomings. I repent of my ways and turn to you today. Help me to move forward in a real relationship with you and help me to fulfill the purpose that you have for my life. I thank you and I love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you prayed that maybe for the first time or maybe for the first time in a very long time and you meant it from your heart, I believe big things happen. God hears it. Jesus moves in and things begin to change.